What sets apart the ideas of Christian humility versus other religions? Humility. What in history can we look at to show God's examples of humility translated into observable events? I aim to discuss these topics and more as we dive into a non-humble analysis of why Christians should be humble to a fault. We will also discuss a side topic about the thorn in the flesh that the Apostle Paul spoke of. We are going to discover verses that give us a pathway to understanding humility, as well as secular sources that show the genius of God and His inventions of humanity. So, let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to The Whitaker Show. This is a show geared towards talking about the many key lessons and takeaways of Christianity with an eye towards apologetics. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to the show, and thank you for wasting your time with me. So, what is humility? Well, humility is the suppression of self to view the world through the lens of Jesus Christ as per my point of view, right? A secular definition would be the, the freedom from pride or arrogance. Being humble could also be defined as being submissive or differential as well. Now, why is this important? Well, I'm glad you asked, because Christians and those of other faiths are called to be humble, H-U-M-B-L-E. Now, does the God of the Bible tell us to be humble? Why, yes, he does. Proverbs 22.4 states, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Furthermore, 1 Peter 5.5 says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Which also quotes James 4, 6. It's like a verse inside of a verse, which would be verseception. And I have no idea how you would even spell that, to be honest. All right. So, why are we told to be humble? Well, from the verses we just heard, I would say because God designed humility to orient us towards His grace. Proverbs tells us that wisdom comes with humility. The book of James tells us that we are exalted to God when we are humble. Even further, another Proverbs verse tells us that being haughty precedes destruction and humility precedes honor. Again, being haughty precedes destruction and humility precedes honor. This last one is important because it shows the repercussions of one's character decisions. Yes, it is true. Religion and science and everything can show us, right, that um, our, our, our character gives us who we are and then has lasting repercussions. Now, on the secular side, Vicky Zakrzewski, I probably said that entirely wrong. She's someone who cites a study in her Greater Good Berkeley article on humility, right? And she mentions that those who practice humility handle stress more efficiently, right? They report higher levels of physical and mental well-being, and their interpersonal skills are higher due to being more generous, helpful, and gracious, gracious she says. English. I'm, I'm having a hard time with it. This seems to show me that God knows what he's talking about when he tells us to be humble, right? Because even in science, we can see this. So it's, it's nice to have God tell us that. And it's also super nice to have um, observable facts in the world show it as well, which God tells us that will also, you know, the whole world can see God manifest through nature and all that kind of stuff as well. So let's talk about a godly example of humility. So I will be discussing various religions throughout the course of of this podcast, right? And if God deems it fit to let it continue for years and years, that will be awesome. 
My focus will most likely be on the big three, right? Those would be Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. However, I do plan on engaging with others as well, like Buddhism, and Taoism, all that kind of stuff. For a God example of humility, let's look first at some basic doctrines of Christianity and a comparative religion, i.e. Islam. When I mention either deity, I will call the Christian deity God and the deity of Islam, Allah. Yes, I am aware that those words have similarities, but my goal is to differentiate right, between each one without saying the God of Islam and the God of Christianity, because then that would make this podcast infinitely longer and might lead to people getting too confused as something would be very wordy. So one amazing example of God's humility is to look at the difference between God's and Allah's view on their own omnipotence as based in either deity's um, religious texts. People often complain, firstly, God's justice and his love as if those two are the same or that one can trump the other. They say that God doesn't owe us anything and therefore he is still just, he's still just, right? Even if he were to condemn us all to hell. Firstly, God's justice states that we are all undeserving sinners and salvation is by God's grace alone as detailed in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. This would mean that if God gave everyone what they deserved, then he would be just, right? I mean, that sounds correct. However, God is as loving as he is just. 1 John 4, 8 says that God is love, in fact. God doesn't have to not love us anymore due to sin. His very being is love. Again, God doesn't have to not love us anymore due to sin. His very being is love. It's one of the pillars I mentioned in the previous podcast. Due to God's love, he gives us grace and mercy and allows us to be reconciled to him no matter who we are and what we do. That's an excellent example of God showing us humility. It would be haughty to just stand on a mountain and declare everyone unfit and then turn one's back, right? God didn't do that. He came down as flesh and was mocked as well as ridiculed. He had to go through all these things. He had to carry his own cross. They put a, a crown of thorns on his head. They beat him. They slept and they spit on him. He walked on his own two feet vastly across the Middle East like in order to bring the message of himself, you know, Jesus, God. He did all these things and he came down to us, right? Inhabited our weak flesh to show us that I care. Look, I'm taking on what you go through. Look at me and look at yourselves and look at how good I am and follow that, right? He acted as the least of men, right? But it was raised up as the greatest. God's love toward us shows his humility, right? But also his strength in his humanity, right? And that's the key because Jesus never gave up on his mission. And, and then of course he couldn't, he's God, right? You know, he, he was crucified, he bore his cross, right? He endured the, the Pharisees mocking him and questioning him but never gave up on his mandate, never gave up on saving the world from themselves. I mean, read Genesis and Exodus and see all the times that God was to render judgment on people and let his creation talk to him about it, right? He didn't, he, they didn't just pray and then bam, God made it happen, right? Like these, these major like patriarchs like Abraham and them, they could talk directly to God and he, they would convince him to do things. Like, let's expound on that a little bit. Like, what do I mean by 
He convinced them, right? He spared them and allowed them to show their faith toward him and in his goodness by explaining their case to him. No God has to do that, right? No God has to just listen to his creation. You know, but he he's God, right? You don't tell God what to do. But he he lives what he asks us to do, and that's that's the key. He he shows us his love, even in the Old Testament, like when we didn't have the Holy Spirit directly, and like we didn't have Jesus that came down for our sins. He still worked with and lived with his people. Now, theologically speaking, we can compare this example to Allah, whose omnipotence trumps everything, even his own nature. And then this is gathered from a awesome like compendium on Islam by like William Lane Craig. Craig goes on to detail that Allah can act in any way he wills, even choosing at the last minute to send all faithful Muslims to hell due to his justice being greater than the choices of his moral agents, right? Allah has puppets that exist to serve him and to do his will exclusively, not their own. They are not independent moral agents. Whereas in Christ, Christians are given ultimate freedom and through God, you know, even though God like remains supreme, he works with us, not just for himself. God views us as significant moral agents, right? Not just moral agents, but significant moral agents who make free moral choices. Let me go further with another example of Christian humility here. Islam means submission. It is one positive attribute to Orthodox Islam that they could teach Christians on how to truly be submissive to their God. Right? Because Islam has no, no separation of church and state. They submit everything to Allah. Christians are called to this also in, in Romans 12, 1 through 2. And that is common ground that Christians and Muslims can find. Um, it's this common ground of total submission to a holy God. Right? We're, we're all called to submit because he's a God of goodness. If he's God, then we should submit to him. Right? That just makes sense. Now, I did mention that submission is a trait of humility after all. Right, so it's it's good to be submissive in a certain point of view, but let's look at how Christianity, Christianity, and Islam spread in their early years. And by early years, I mean in the first 300 years um, after the death of Jesus, and the first 300 years of um, Islam's prominence, like early prominence. Now, many people argue the validity for Christianity in how it and how it in why it was spread right the emphasis should be instead on the how because i believe it is erroneous to just mention why you know we need to dig more deeper in history like how is a better question just because some like religion spread widely and quickly does not show them to be good things like we all know this oftentimes the worst messages tend to propagate the quickest right so then you don't focus on the why it spread you focus on the how we need to focus on the origin stories and the historicity of the spread in the first place. So, when we contrast the two religions, and I mean how Islam spread in history as well as how Christianity spread, you get two different messages. Let's start with Islam. With Islam. Islam, in its first three centuries, spread with the sword. Two years after the death of Muhammad, the Arabian forces invaded Persia and brought it into submission. The same was done to Syria a year later, and then Jerusalem, and then Egypt. After this, North Africa, all the way to the Atlantic Ocean, were also brought into submission. 
conquest fuel this expansion. And no, this is not an extremist motion. This is actually Islamic doctrine. The ninth chapter of the Quran details the violence that is to be done to pagans and those of other faiths in order to bring them into submission. This divides the world into two sections. And this is very, this is very important to know here. This is Islamic doctrine as well. They are called Dar, Dar al-Islam and Dar al-Harb. The first one is House of Submission. The second one is the House of War. So, knowing this, let's look at the first three centuries of Christianity in which its massive spread was done through martyrdom. Christianity was this tiny persecuted religion as it ran contrary to Orthodox Judaism and Islam. Only the Apostle John died of natural causes. The rest were crucified, killed outright, boiled, stoned, beheaded, flayed, drowned, speared, and burned, to name a few. These apostles were spreading the message of Jesus Christ all throughout the world at that point, preaching love and salvation through God's grace. Instead of killing others or persecuting them, they would sacrifice themselves instead, in a similar way that God did for us by sending himself to die for us and become resurrected. Now, this is a great point, theologically speaking, but it is also a good point speaking more towards the secular bent. Why? Because you can judge someone's cause by the cause's repercussions. What do I mean by that? What I mean is if your objective is completed by, cost, by it costing someone else something, right? I do not believe that's a very good cause. Instead, if your cause cost you something, that seems to me to be a greater indication of a better cause. Right? I mean, this is honestly just common sense in a lot of ways. We can tell people if, if we often, as Americans, um, and then those who might be listening that are outside of America, you might can like relate to this as well. We pride ourselves on our hard work saying, yes, I worked for this, right? That shows us that we place more emphasis on when we sacrifice for ourselves than, than when we get other people, to, other people to sacrifice for us, right? God wants us to submit. This is true. As then we allow the God of all that is good to rule in our lives. But what is so cool is that he gives us a choice. Our framers also took this example and put it in how presidents administer the presidential pardon power. You can, what's so cool is that you, you can see God's wisdom in normal human life, right? Because the person being pardoned, though, has to accept the pardon in order to receive it. It's not like, you know, President so-and-so can say, oh, well, you are pardoned for your crime. No, because that person may want to represent themselves in court. You know, they get the choice just like we do in Christianity. It's not just that we have to submit. It's not just that we have all these mandates. It's that you get to choose God every day, just like you choose your spouse every day. What's so cool though, is that God constantly chooses you no matter what. And then he promises that. So what does a thorn in the flesh have to do with humility? One example of the thorn in the flesh that we see in the Bible is from Paul's perspective. Many scholars have debated on what his thorn was, and I have my own opinion of it, which I will get to later. But suffice it to say that Paul was adamant on having it cured by God. He really wanted it. In fact, he asked him three times. 
2 Corinthians 12, 7-10 detail how Paul was given a thorn in the flesh by God. Quote, Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. Simply put, Paul obtained his thorn to humble him. Why? That's not really important, but let's phrase it this way. God chose Paul to write 13 books of the New Testament. 13 books of God's holy word. And the majority of of individual books in the New Testament were also written by Paul. God also chose to show Paul where God dwells in the third heaven and was given a large amount of revelations. God gave this guy an immense task and he gave him immense blessings. So Paul had a lot to brag about. Paul had, he was vastly intelligent. You know, Paul was Saul of Tarsus, a man of great renown, of great intelligence, one who killed Christians, vast and wide, right? So God, in showing himself to him, like actually blinded Paul, which then led Paul on his whole journey to seek God and eventually die for God. Now that you've heard all of that, why did God not cure this thorn in the flesh that Paul had, even though Paul asked him multiple times? Well, first, God wanted Paul to be Christ-like in his humility instead of Paul being full of himself, given all that God had shown him, as I mentioned. Now, it's important to note two things. This example does not mean that Christians should accept bad things that happen to them or lingering illnesses to be accepted as our thorns. We're not called to be complainers. We're not called to be people that revel and struggle. Yes, it is great that... Um, you're able to endure things as a Christian and that you're able to experience hardship and pass through it. Yes, that is very good, but we don't revel in that. We revel in, you know, God getting us through his things and God being with us things. Like the point is to revel in God, not the illness. So that's not the message of the thorn in the flesh as certain churches have given. And we should, you know, be thankful that this is your thorn and blah, 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 blah. Because it means you're, that, that, that like you're being blessed immeasurably no 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 we don't revel in the thorn the thorn is just a a you could say symptom but it's more of a of a fact in a way what do i mean god personally told paul that this was his thorn first of all right so it's not going out and and trying to find your thorn as a fact is not an important topic forget anything about like a thorn being a fact it's not for you to discover right unless God personally tells you that 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 is your thorn right like I would love for God to cure my stutter that I work very very hard to to sublimate right but that's not my thorn I don't I have no no idea if I even have a thorn all I know is that I've been born again by Jesus Christ and that he owns my soul and that I have eternal life as I have heaven as a home. That's much better to focus on, right? And second, as per the first thing I was mentioning, God can heal anything, right? We should be coming to him expectantly and with victory in our hearts, not with saying, oh, thank you, God, for this for this, for this, this thorn. Don't worry about that. Say thank you, God, just for anything, period. You should be thanking God for the breath you breathe every single day because <laughs> he's that cool. Um, another good point is there are three lessons that stand out from this whole verse and then everything inside of it. First, humility in his servants is an enormously important topic to God. Second, God is willing to allow Satan a limited level of power to create helpful weakness in his children. And we've seen this, like even with Job as well. As Paul shows 
in the following verses, God's power is made perfect in a believer's weakness, not in our strength. Third, spiritual strength is no guarantee of health, wealth, or prosperity. As the last podcast talked about, I talked about the prosperity gospel. Um, and Paul makes it all clear in his own prayer in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 9. So, how do you recap all of this, right? Well, first you have to unhook the fire hose that was just presented to you and take a breath. <laughs> just so you know, you can always replay the audio. I know I would. Fast talker, a lot of points. Second, we know that God encourages humility and lives the example. Third, being humble does not mean one is not happy. Being humble is healthy, encouraged by God, and is paramount to wisdom, even with a secular understanding of the term. What does this mean for those who are hearing of Christ for the first time or considering Christ? So, this is the main point of the show, beyond me just learning how to externalize my own apologetics and my, like, I'm discovering just like you guys are. This means that you do not have to worry about God being this omnipotent judge that views and cares only for you due to his plans, but legit wants to prosper you due to being the embodiment of love and justice. He isn't sitting on a high, on a high throne judging you because he is perfect and and you're not right he came down and died for your sins and sees you for who you are yes he does but also has grace upon you and tosses away your sins to focus on the goodness that's inside of you it's not that god sees you through the through the lens of christ therefore your sins are you know that god doesn't see that he's omnipotent he sees everything right but he chooses to give you grace even though you don't deserve it to wipe it away if you have any reservations about jesus and how god works Continue to listen. I beg you. I aim to win over every heart to Jesus by showing how logical but moving, how perfect yet free, and how humble yet successful following Christ can be. And no, those do not contradict. So, I hope that you've enjoyed this portion of the show, and I really appreciate you tuning in. These topics are going to kind of change as time goes. They just they they pop up based on what I've heard in church. And what I pray about myself, I do hope to introduce brand new monthly segments into the show. Um, like one of which coming up is where I take pastors and ministers and whatnot of different denominations in Christianity and I ask them questions. So I will form these questions, but if you have questions that you would like to hear, email me. And you can find my email on the website, thewhitakershow.com. Um, basically the email is the Whitaker show at gmail.com if I'm not mistaken. Um, but I'm going to ask questions, most of which are questions that someone who doesn't believe in Christ would ask or somebody who is new in faith would ask. And then some that are a little bit more advanced that kind of deal with the Trinity and whatnot. And the goal is to not to debunk that person or to debate that person, but to hear their outlook and then I'll give a synopsis of it so that when then we can see all the different viewpoints on Christianity and therefore work together to understand them right so we'll get we'll bring on Presbyterian pastors Baptist pastors Methodist non-denominational pastors it's good to ask these leaders questions so that we can learn more and so that's what I hope to bring to the show I hope to do more interviews with other Christians Hopefully the show can become an engagement, right? And that's all done through y'all's support. So I really appreciate everyone who's contributed to the show via donations or via encouragement or that have told me, hey, you know, this music's too loud or you talk like this or I, I need all the feedback that I can get to make this show better for you. Um, 
but a show has been growing. We've hit over 150 downloads, which is not a whole lot, but what's cool is that this is all being done via word of mouth. This is, there's no social media, I just have the website. And then y'all have been talking about it, so I really appreciate it. Um, so again, thank you for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Hopefully you've had some good stuff to think about today, but other than that, look, y'all have a blessed day, night, evening, or morning. Um, if, if y'all have questions or you have points that you want to bring up, feel free to email me and check out the site, thewhitakershow.com. But again, have a great day and be blessed.